Welcome to another inspirational message from London Live Church. You're listening to our Sermon of the Week. Let me pray quickly. Let me pray quickly. Father, thank you for the message today. Um, These are not my words. I'm hoping and praying that you will touch people as I speak so that they may see your vision and your worth and your plan for us as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to tell you. Uh, I want to start with a little story, which I am sure you've heard about um, in the news recently. It actually happened in Thai, uh, Thailand in 2018. Do you remember that story where 12 young boys and their football coach got stuck in uh, um, in a cave? Right? They literally, apparently, that's what they do to pass their time. <laughs> they go into caves, you know, <laughs> um, because there's plenty of those. The only thing is they've miscalculated. They've gone quite deep, and I don't have the picture. I've actually looked online. Um, the cave goes up and down. It's not just like this. And then the monsoon came, and the water flooded in, and it actually flooded one of those um, tunnels that actually goes really deep down and goes up. So when the water goes in, if it recedes everywhere else, it will stay, still stay in that tube. You know, like in your toilet and, and, and the sink, that pretty much that. So in the only way for you to get out is actually you have to dive and go to the other side, except that was way too long for the boys and for the, for the teacher to come out. So that happened actually on the 23rd of June in 2018. Now, I know you've seen it on the news and everything. They were all rescued on the 10th of July. They've, they've spent a long time in the darkness and, and all of that. But the, there's one interesting um, aspect to this story, which I don't know if you were aware of. Elon Musk got involved. Okay, now... I remember having one client, and he's an investment banker, and this is what he said to me about Elon and Tesla and all of this. He says, I wouldn't touch them with the pole, but a barge pole. Okay, there is something that the investment banker knows that I don't, but I don't invest, so I don't really care about that side. And certainly, whatever he's done and achieved in terms of the space travel, SpaceX, etc. I am sure some of that will definitely have an impact on humanity and society, which already does, okay? So we're not talking about him as a businessman, as a, as a, as a sort of um, philanthropist, if, you know, if there is obviously something that he does of that sort. I'm talking to him about him as a person. Let's focus on what he did on that day. So. He hears there is a problem, and he has money, he has influence, he has reach. So what he does, he gets all of his team, I suspect not all, but some bright minds that will actually go and design a vehicle that he thought they would use to take the kids out. So he comes up with this submarine that's big enough for a child but not too big so that it can go, so they 
build it very quick time. They develop it, test it, and he himself flew it over to Thailand. So he wanted to be there while this is being done. So they try once, try two times, three times. I don't know how many times they tried it. In the end, they decide not to use that. Okay? And for me, it was interesting what he did when they decided to abandon that idea of the submarine. Now, you would have thought somebody of his stature, of his influence, the money, uh, the reach. Oh, come on, guys, you can't go. Let's, let's keep going. Let's try it one more time. You, you know, th that this is kind of a natural human reaction and behavior. And yet, no, he did not say a word. Let's put this aside. Not only did he not say a word, he actually went down into the mud, into the pits, asking, what else can I do? Because his idea, and if anyone, I, I used to be in management consulting, every time you go into a meeting, management 101 is, if you have a problem, you cannot just present the problem. You have to come up with at least one idea or solution, even if it doesn't work. Even it, it, if it doesn't, because if there is five of us, we will all come up with five different solutions and we will definitely come up with the one that works. Okay, so he presented the problem. There was a problem. He presented his solution. Now that didn't work, he didn't just, oh, no, I'm not having this. I'm walking away. He actually stayed with the rescuers. And if you go on, on YouTube, there's a, yeah, quite a long clip. Um, there was one Navy SEAL, Thai, Thai Navy SEAL that actually died, 38 years of age, in, um, in rescuing of these boys. So this wasn't just some Mickey Mouse operation, just so you know. He stayed there and he put his heart and soul until, I'm sure he was putting finances because there was need for that as well. So when he left, he left the submarine there. I am sure there was some technology in there that was invented for just specifically that purpose. He didn't say, okay, well, let me take that with me. No, he left it there just in case if you need it at some point in the future. You see, I think our churches could use that kind of attitude. And if we did, can you imagine what we could achieve? if every one of us had that same attitude. You see, in the church, we often talk about volunteers. And you could argue it is a correct term to use for somebody who helps in church. But if we are doing things in church based on the Bible, let me tell you, that's not biblical. There is no word volunteer in the Bible. If you look at it, old text, Hebrew, Greek, anywhere in the Bible, there is no such word as a volunteer. In fact, what is mentioned in the Bible is a servant. There's a big difference between the two. Okay? So, let me read 
Um, from Ephesians 2.10. I think we have this. Um, yes. So it says, every person has good works that God has planned for us to walk in. Now, this is just a short version of this. Now, it's very interesting. It says, God has planned for us. God exists how long? And I was born in 1967. So that tells you how young you are. Okay? But God had a plan for me. Not only did he have a plan for me in 1967, it says beforehand. In other translation, it says before creation. Now, for me, that's really hard to wrap up, you know. Before the creation, God had a plan for me. God had a plan for you. And you. Can you grasp that? It's really hard to believe that. And yet, it is true because it's in the Bible. Okay? So, so what is that plan then? If God has created you and he has a plan, then that plan can be called nothing else but a calling. Would you not agree? I mean, just work with me a little bit in terms of, I may not be... Um, uh, a teacher in terms of the English, etc. But my analysis of the wording of this, it can be only described as calling, right? Calling is what God has created you to do. Now, career that you do, that's not your calling. Sorry to disappoint those who think they they have an amazing jobs and they love it, etc. But that is not your calling. Your career is how you make a living, how you put the bread on your table, how you pay for your car and the house, etc. But the calling is what God has created you to do. John fourteen twelve. Okay, and in John we read. The following, anyone who believes in me will do the same works. And here's the killer line, and even greater works. Okay, what are you saying, God? Jesus healed, right? He, he, he put mud in guy's face, right, in his eyes, and he saw and even greater works than this. That's what the Bible says, if I believe. That's what I can do. In order to fulfill that particular calling, it says you must be a volunteer. Oh, I'm so excited about that, aren't you? Does, is that what it says in the Bible? I don't think so, because I'm struggling to find that. It says... You must volunteer. It actually says completely the opposite. You must be a servant. And uh, what I would love to talk to you about is the attitudes between this volunteering and serving. Because the two attitudes don't go together. 
if we want to serve God truly and fully. Okay? So, if you look at the volunteer, he will have a self-fulfilling agenda. You know, he turns up because somebody asked him to, to come. I will only come if so-and-so plays the bass. And yet, you know, we actually need that pianist on that day. We need the singer. But if she's singing, I'm not singing. Let me t- I, I have been to churches like this. I promise you, this is my experience. Okay? The volunteer is not focused on others. It's me and I. Whereas the servant is not about me. It's not about I. Servant says, I will help. If it needs fixing, I will fix it. Uh, the, the, the most beautiful one I find in servanthood is how can I best serve? Not waiting to be asked, not waiting to be told what to do, but already putting yourself out on the plate. How can I do what's needed? Okay? Um, <clears throat> I have to say, only a few months ago, um, there was a lady in this church walked over to me at the end of the service. And this is what she said. She said, Miroslav, I've been coming to this church for some time now, and I love this place. And I want to make this church my home. I'm kind of paraphrasing, and I'm trying to remember, but this is how it basically goes. However, I have been brought up that if I am in church, I serve. Where can I serve? Uh, Let me tell you, I don't get this very often. You know how many times we ask people, please get involved, we need you here, we need you over there, we need you here, we need, I don't know, someone on the camera, et cetera, et cetera. Have you noticed we don't have the camera at the back anymore? We just don't have people. You know, and I don't think it's fair on Sludgeon or Emma, even constantly every weekend, just them doing the same thing. But it's not difficult. It is not. Let me tell you, Sludgeon is not a techie person. No offense, kid. (laughs) But she can do it. It's really simple. But if we all pitch in a little bit, uh, I cannot possibly tell you what we can achieve. And the reason why I'm saying this, because I know... Because for 10 years, I had been a part of a bigger church than this in London, where on Sunday morning at 6 a.m., behind the Tottenham Court Road, 700 people who serve in that church turn up. And when I'm five minutes late, I'm embarrassed. When I park my car, I actually trying to sneak in to the back so they don't see And then the leader steps up on a big crate and he prays in the middle of the church, uh, in, in the middle of the street. He prays for the service. And then what happens? The doors of the big theater open. 20 tons of equipment gets offloaded of the lorry that's waiting on the street. And in two hours, everything is set up. 
Everything is set up from lighting to sound to foyer to, you know, I mean, you name it. You name it. Now, we may not be as big as that. But just a little bit from another five people in this room or anyone online watching, it would make a huge difference in what we do here. Okay? I know you probably didn't expect this from me today, but I'm speaking from my heart because I've been here from the day one of this church and I've seen it all. I've seen it being big at 100 and 120 people and now unfortunately COVID has done its bit. But let me tell you, committed servants can make this greater. Okay? So, <clears throat> in church, you will often come up to um, a, a person that actually answers your prayer. You know, when you, when you actually have the heart for serving and you say, God, use me, wherever you want me to use me. And then somebody comes along and that person is an answer to your prayer. Because that person has something for you to do in church. And then, after a while, when you turn around and say, well, all they do is just use me. Because in reality, that's really what happened. And that's not um, um, just uh, an onus is not on servants only, or people who serve, it's also on the leadership too. This is not just for people sitting in pews. And just because I'm preaching here, that does not excuse me. Okay? Um, let me, uh, um, last week I spoke a little bit about the servanthood uh, in the Bible time. And I want to touch back. Uh, again to this. And this message, I have to say, this message is not mine. I came across this message. I have already thought about what can we do about this in our church. And somehow it's as if that YouTube video came. The message came. And I knew this is something that we need to talk. This is something that we need to expand on, adapt on, enrich ourselves with. Okay, so in the Bible time, let me, let me um, uh, paint a picture for you. Being a servant in Bible time, um, it also meant being a slave, but not as you knew it or as you know it now. Um, in the Israel as a nation, they didn't actually go out there, conquer other people and enslave people and bring them back. You ended up being a slave mainly as if you, if you owe money to someone and you can't pay it, then you're thrown into jail. So either you rot in jail because you can't pay it or you have somebody who is willing to pay your debt to whomever you owe it. So from jail, you suddenly find yourself at the court or the house of the master that paid your debt. And in the Bible, it says you have to work for seven years in order to pay that particular debt. Now, the interesting thing is this. Very often, the debt paid was larger than the value you would bring to that master over the seven-year period. So in reality, the master um, is shortchanged here. It's not a wise investment. Would you not agree with me today? Bankers wouldn't really do that. You know, 
you need to give me back what I paid for you plus interest. I mean, seven-year interest is got to be worth me while forking out that money. So often what happened, the grateful servant at the end of the seven years, even though he can go free, he chooses not to. He loves his master so much he wants to stay there. And that usually happens because the master didn't just help the servant. He treated them right. He probably helped the family. The servant probably had a wife and kids and, you know, if it, if it was a guy. Um, the wider family as well. So it, there used to be some kind of bond between them. So what the servant would normally do and say, listen, I don't want to go free. I want to stay and serve. And if we read in Exodus, Exodus 21, uh, 5 and 6, uh, very quickly it says this. If the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then this master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or, or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. In other words, a nail. Uh, then he will be his servant for life. That's called a bond servant. So not someone who is forced to do that, but somebody who is willing and wanting to stay there. Now, if you were a servant, I am sure once when you paid your debt, whether it's the debt paid or the time served, thank you very much, goodbye, I'm off. Would you not want to do that? But if your master treated you so well, so much better than you know you could be treated out there, would, what would you want to do? How many times you've heard the convict commit the um, offenses simply to go back? Because they find this cruel world to be absolutely, you know, they simply cannot work. Yeah, you've heard this. Yeah, it's not the first time. Not that this has anything to do with bond servantship, but I'm simply trying to say that very often there are kind people out there who will help you in your difficult times. So, now, if when we look at Jesus, what he did for us, don't you think being that willing bond servant in his house is the least we can do? He's not asking us to put a nail to our earlobe. No, no. He simply is asking us to commit and serve in his house. If we truly express that gratitude towards him. Okay? So, uh, let me give you another example. In First Chronicles 12, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, but if you want to go, read the chapter of First Chronicles 12. And it talks about the state of um, um, uh, Israel and David specifically building his army. And the reason why he's doing this is because he wants to defend um, the people from all the other nations that are around. Just like today, you know, it seems like every nation around Israel, they want to destroy them. This happened even in those days. Okay? So, David is building this army 
And there are some principles in this story that I'm going to talk to you about that actually are very, very important for us as well. So, in the verse 14, it says this. Um, uh, there, there are a number. He's, he's um, um, talking to the captains, to the leaders of his army. And there are numbers of them. And he says, these were the sons of God. Spelt as G-A-D, not God. God. And he was one of the sons of Jacob. Yes? Captains of the army, the least was over a hundred. Meaning, if I were captain, I would have at least a hundred people looking after. And then there are those who were in thousands. So, different levels of captainship, if you want to call it this way, but equal responsibility. <coughs> and then if we go to verse 16, and it says, Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. So it's basically uh, uh, describing what really happened. So in order for him to build this army, he's calling these captains. And yet, he didn't have to ask for them to come. It says here, they came to David. And David went out to meet them and answered and said to them. And this is very interesting. Just listen very carefully. If you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if you betray me to my enemies, in other translations, it says, if you have a hidden agenda, okay? If you have a hidden agenda, there is no wrong in my hand. Why is David, David saying there is no wrong in my hand? Because the following line says this, may God of our fathers look and bring judgment on you and others. So David knows if you come with deceit, there will be judgment on you. But don't blame me. I'm just telling you in advance. That's basically what David said. If you come to me, Come honestly and peaceably. If you have a hidden agenda, this is not your place. It, it is incredible how David calmly presents the situation to them. And to be honest with you, when you go to fight your enemy, you really want to know the guy next to you has no hidden agenda. That one day when in all this shooting, right, he doesn't turn up his gun on you. That's what hidden agenda is. If you have a hidden agenda, if you're not coming in peace, may God reveal that attitude in you. These are heavy words where almost David is prophesying because he knows if this is how you are, God will do that. Okay? And then in verse 18, this is what happens. And the Spirit came upon Amasai. He was one of the captains. He was one of the top, top chief captains. And he said this to David. We are yours, David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace to you and peace to your helpers. And for the God 
that helps you. Peace be upon you. You've heard this word so many times. That word or that phrase in Islam and Christianity and Judaism everywhere is the same. Peace be upon you. Now, notice one thing. David didn't ask. They were the ones showing the initiative. And when they, they did turn up, he said, okay, fine. I'm just telling you this. And after I've just told you, you still want to come, let's do this together. I had never read this story in this way. And when I translate this to our church life, don't you think it's actually almost the same? When we come to church, you know, we bring all sorts of anxieties, you know, discord, uh, you know, some anger. Somebody somewhere else has done this to me. You know, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to, you know, who are you to tell me this or ask me to do that? I will do it the way I want to do this, you know. No, this is not the spirit of openness. This is a hidden agenda. The question I want to ask you is when you engage, do you engage peaceably? Um, who is really a servant? Servant is someone who says, I'm at peace. I don't have a hidden agenda. I don't have some hidden motivation. I'm at peace. What can I do to help? How can I serve? How can I bless? Where can I give? This is the servant's heart. The goal I want to volunteer is not really the goal. The real goal is I need the heart of a servant. Um, let me give you two examples of um, uh, Jesus' disciples. If anyone knew anyone, that was Jesus and his 12 disciples. And then if we look at the very, very first one to die was who? The very first disciple to die. Come on, you've got to know that one. Who? Come on, guys. He, even, he died even before Jesus. Yes, Judas. Judas. He died. How did he die? The hidden agenda eventually killed him. This is heavy, guys. This is heavy. Okay? On the other hand, John the Beloved, how old was he? He was over 100. He doesn't give a specific number, but he was one of the last ones to die, and he was over 100. And yet, he was called John the Beloved, and he was, they say, favorite of Jesus. What is the picture of him in the Bible, in the New Testament? Does anyone remember this? Second, his ear was where? It was on the heart of Jesus, on his chest. Isn't that interesting? Both Judas and John were in close proximity. They knew Jesus. 
They knew who he was, what he did, all the miracles. They knew Jesus' agenda, and yet Judas had something else in his mind, okay? Whereas what happened with John? John wanted to have his heart, uh, ear on Jesus' heart because he wanted to know what Jesus' heart for people is. He wanted to know the heart of God, in, in, in other words. He wanted to know what was the heart of God for people. Why? Because that's where the peace is. If you come peaceably, put your heart on the chest of Jesus. If you really want to know the Spirit of God and what He's saying, make sure that your ear is next to the heart of Jesus. <laughs> Amen to that, yes. Right. Let me give you very quickly, very quickly, we're not going to be long, five attitudes. And I've called that uh, volunteer versus a servant. Five different attitudes. And I'm going to let you then decide which one you want to be. Because I believe that at the end of every service, at the end of sermon, at the end of every worship, I think God is calling us to make a decision. You know, we don't always do this here. We don't embarrass people, oh, please make a decision. No, what is your decision? No. But I would challenge you that at the end of every service here, walk away, ask yourself, what is my decision after today? Because that's the growth. That's your personal growth in the next week until next Saturday. Okay? So number one, doing versus loving. Volunteering is something you do. Whereas serving is something you heart. I had to say that. Serving is something you love. End of story. Okay? Volunteer will say, look at what I did. Look at how I did it. Okay? But a servant is simply focused on sacrificing for others. I don't care what I look like. It, what it makes me look like. If the people meet God, if they experience God through what I do, then I don't care what I do. I just want to serve. Servanthood is an invisible attitude of the heart. I wish you guys writing this down. This is stuff that, you know, we would, we would need to repeat ourselves on a daily basis. This is not just for church. If you serve one another in your house, in your families, if you sacrifice, if you don't ask what the cost is, Watch your families, your relationships. Watch it grow. Watch it grow. Servant understands maybe no one will ever recognize what I do, but I know the one that judges the heart. And that's really the one I should be performing for. You know, I often say to the team out there, and I said it today, this is not important. 
It's the heart. That's important. And you know what I think also? What is the heart of church? I'm going to just sidetrack here because I want to use this as a moment for plug. And I said by the end, by the September, every week I will mention this until you get sick of it. What is the heart of any church? What is the heart of any church? Yes, but on the ground, if you like um, logistics, heartbeat of any church. Small groups. Guys, small groups. And this is why I'm encouraging you. Every week I will be telling you this. When September comes, I will challenge you to find yourself three other people. Whether you want to lead a small group or be part of another. So when somebody asks you, would you like to be, you cannot say no. Because if we are to grow together, we cannot have hidden agendas. We cannot... Um, live unattached to one another because that's the only way we can learn what the heart of God is truly. Okay, number two. Self-centered versus Jesus-centered. Volunteers focus on what they give. Servants focus on what Jesus gave. Volunteer will say, I've, I've given so much. I've given so much time, the finances, the energy, you know, so much of myself. I, I actually can't do this anymore. I need to do something else. And this is the reason why I serve. Whereas servant simply says this. I am doing this because of how much Jesus did for me. Now, who's heard about this famous movement um, in the world? It's called Moravian Revival. Now, anyone who knows anything about geography, Moravia, that's the proper pronunciation, is sort of southern East Germany and um, Western Czech Republic. That used to be one region in the old days, 1400s or so, but today is Western Czech Republic, southern East Germany. Moravian movement or revival. Now, the way this became very popular and famous, and what they are famous for, they, they were sending missionaries, and they, the movement had more missionaries than any other in the history per capita in terms of followers. So the way they started was two men, young men. They heard um, of a little a Caribbean island and 3,000 slaves on it. And they wanted to go and preach the gospel to them. And yet, they couldn't. And the reason why they couldn't get there, because the island was owned by a British aristocrat who was an atheist. So he said, there is no way a missionary will ever step foot on this island. And obviously, the desire is to spread the gospel so Somebody tells them, well, you could always sell yourself as slaves. And that's what they did. Now, this isn't, okay, let me sell myself for a year. This is a life commitment. So, the story goes that as they were boarding the ship, I'm, I can only assume it must have been one of the um, 
uh, 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 port yards or shipyards down on the south coast, okay? As they are boarding this ship, everyone has gathered on the shore to say goodbye to them. And families, relatives, they're crying, they're screaming, because they know once when they go, there is no coming back. In the midst of that commotion, what became later uh, a signature slogan or call by that revival, they said this, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the, the reward of his suffering. So while everyone was focusing on them, and naturally you would, I mean, it's a huge commitment, that's it. That's the end of your life right here, right now. You will never see your mother, father, they will never see you. So they're focusing on their sacrifice. And yet, what they are doing is saying, no, 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 no. Don't look at us. Don't look at us. This is in recognition of the lamb and his suffering. May he receive that reward, not us. And this is what the servant does. Number three, score versus the sacrifice. Volunteers keep the scores. Servants make sacrifices. A volunteer keeps track of time, gets frustrated, disappointed, discouraged. I mean, one would argue, well, who doesn't? Who doesn't? We all do. And yet, when you're servant, it's so much better and it's so easier to overcome this. Don't get the attention. They complain when it costs them too much. And servant says this, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to sacrifice. I don't care how much it costs me. I'm supposed to take up my cross. I'm supposed to inconvenience myself. It's not always supposed to be likable. This is what servant does. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying to God when he was saying, if at all possible, may this cup pass me by. Jesus has actually taught us that every part of the body is needed. And yet, um, Paul actually takes this further, and he says this, the unseen parts are more important. What does that mean? Can you live without an eye? Yeah? Could you live without an eye? Yes. I know plenty of people without both, both eyes. Could you live without a nose? Without an ear? Without an arm? Yes. Can you live without a heart? And yet, you didn't see my heart. I don't see your heart. Okay? Somehow, people will think that what I'm doing right now, this is really... That no, this is not the heart. This is not the heart. Is this the heart? One could argue yes. But I am saying something else. The heart is what you are going to do every two weeks 
from September onwards. That's the heart. Because if that heart doesn't beat, this is dead. This is empty song. Are you following me here? The praises of little babes. Yes. The heart of every church is a small group. Let me tell you a little story, which you all know. A story of Good Samaritan. Very quickly. What happened there? A guy gets robbed, beaten, left in a ditch. One guy comes up, rich, ruler, influencer, probably had a TikTok or something, I don't know. Instagram, I don't even know what's popular these days anymore, right? And yet, nah, 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 nah. this is not for me. I'm too busy. It's going to inconvenience my time. I'm not going to make there if I stand and help this guy because this isn't just an, oh, are you okay? Can I lift you? That, that's not enough. I actually have to pick him up and take him somewhere. I don't have that time. The second guy also comes equally so, busy with other things, probably volunteering somewhere else. Okay? And then the good Samaritan comes along. What did he do? He said, I don't care. Whatever it costs, as long as he gets better. That's basically what he said to the guy when he left him in that inn. You know, he took his time. Probably wasn't easy. Maybe this guy was heavy over his shoulder or his donkey. Had to probably walk by him, you know. He didn't care what it took. What is the message in that story? Can somebody tell me, what is the message in that story? Come on, talk to me. Francie. Say again. Sacrificial lamb. Love. Okay, yes. Yes. Anyone else? Think about it. There are no right or wrong answers, only what's in the Bible. What is the message in the Good Samaritan's story? Okay, it's not what he did. Only one instruction comes out of that story. And what is that instruction? Go and do likewise. We're not supposed to be impressed by his good deeds, although they are impressive. No. What's impressive if you actually see this and encourages you to go, go and do likewise. Okay? Number four, and we have number five, and then we are over. Convenience versus commitment. Volunteering is about convenience. Serving is about commitment. <laughs> I have to say this is probably one of my favorite ones. And if we look at 2 Kings 17, this is a story about Israelites living among the heathens, 
all the other nations around. And it's very inevitable that people from those nations will come in and dilute who they are. They will bring their own gods, they will bring their own practices, etc. Et so with time, even the Israelites started falling away, started worshipping some other idols. So what happens in this story, especially, especially in verse 25, um, let me see if I have this. But since the foreigners, foreign settlers did not worship the Lord when they first arrived, the Lord sent lions among the which killed them. So basically what was happening is if somebody would travel from one town to another, the lions were there literally just waiting for the, to devour them, you know. And they said, God, we, we can't have this. You know, please, please save us. Sure enough, God listened to their prayers. And then what happened? Very interestingly, in the verse 40, God hears and it says, but the people would not still listen. And they continue to follow the former practices. In other translation, it says this. They feared the Lord because he saved them from the lions, but they continued to worship their own gods. Okay? They feared the Lord, but they continued to worship their own gods. Sometimes <laughs> I, I think we are like this as well. Um, we love the Lord. We come to church and then we go in the week and then we worship our own little gods somewhere else. You know, we feel like we want to be close to God and yet not too close because if I'm close to his chest, I will hear his heartbeat, and that heartbeat will tell me, you cannot do that. <laughs> there was a man having his breakfast, and he had an egg, and he had a fried chicken. And the question was posed, who made a greater sacrifice? The hen or the chicken. And after much debating, the conclusion was, although the hen was involved, the chicken was committed. Connected to God, but not committed. Just enough so God can keep the lions away. Just enough so that God can keep the Satan away. And then I will continue my own way. That is not servant's heart. If you fully want your lions away, you have to surrender. Serve by being committed. And the last one, superior versus humble. And that one's probably, in my, in my, in my mind and in my heart, one of the most important ones. You know, volunteering makes you superior. After a while, I guarantee you, I've seen it. You know, when you give someone the role, and they become very important. And then you need to be a Christian 
to gently let them down. And when you do, you haven't done it right. I remember at the very beginning uh, of this church, um, I can speak about this because it's been 16 years ago, and the, the people are not here. Nobody's here from those days, so I can speak, and I know they're not listening either. There was a lady who had a somewhat good voice, okay? Not the greatest, but good voice, okay? And even though in those days we had all sorts of other activities in the community and, you know, before the choir, we had a worship team here. And every time we would ask her to sing, um, you know, when somebody stands there, there are four people here, and there are three here, and then she's over there. Okay? You can already tell in that attitude, I'm an individual. I'm not playing the team thing. She wants to be there, but she's not given an opportunity to be by herself because that's exactly what she wants to do, just by herself. And then, that wasn't enough. They sing, and she's the loudest. And I remember, Pastor Paul was then, so Miracle, just go and turn it off, which we did. You think it was enough? Everyone heard her. She didn't get it that this didn't work. This is not the heart of a servant. This is the heart of somebody who wants to say, look at me. I'm sorry to say, but God doesn't look at you that way. He just looks at your heart. What I want you to do today... Um, as the worship team is getting ready, and the band. Um, think about where you stand in this church. You know, do you come here to keep that lion on Monday away? You know, do you, do you take enough God with you so that the lion on Friday is not stronger than the message or the influence you received today? Or by Friday, maybe all of this has fizzled away. Or you come here so that when you commit, that stays with you forever. Think about this. Think about commitment to God, number one. To God, number one. And if you haven't committed your life, maybe that's a time to think about. We will have... Uh, baptisms soon, I pray, and I know we will. We don't know who that will be, but I know we will because I believe if we grow together, if we are committed with one heart, I believe this church can go miles. And then we will think of the COVID times and what it did to this church because we used to have three times this much before. And I keep asking myself, why is it that people do not come to church? And I have no answer. Because believe me, there's only 20 people on Zoom. You know? That's not the answer. What is it that stops people coming to church? I would love to know that. If it's me preaching, I will stop. I promise you. I promise you. You know? But here is where we serve.
here is where our faith comes alive. Every commitment we commit and say, God, I love you, I serve you, I worship you, everything that we sing comes together here. So I'm challenging you today. Please think about this. Reconsider your involvement in this church. This is me asking you for help. Because I want to grow together with you. Shall we do this together? Okay, I'm going to let the team take over. This is the end of this broadcast. We hope you have been encouraged and inspired. For more information, please visit londonlivechurch.com.